Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're working our way through the Divine Service, specifically Divine Service 1, page 151 and following in Lutheran Service Book. The goal of our at home in your hymnal programs is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. We want you to be at home in your hymnal corporately as you gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the corporate worship service and also at home as you use your hymnal for personal or family devotions. It is a wonderful, wonderful resource, a great blessing for the church, and we have been taking our time slowly, methodically, uh, intentionally working our way through the divine service. We started with Divine Service 1 because it's the first one in the book. But uh, we have looked at the rhythm and flow of a divine service in general. We've looked at the invocation, the confession, the absolution, the uh, other things that lead up to where we are here in today's program. In our last program, we looked at the last episode, we looked at the introit, the entrance hymn or the psalm that is kind of the dividing line between the preparatory service of confession and absolution and the main part of the divine service. And now we are to the hymn of praise. We closed with talking about why a hymn of praise at this particular part in the service. And in this episode, we want to look at what is perhaps the most distinctive and most familiar part of Divine Service Setting 1. I suppose that's debatable. But uh, what is distinctive and relatively new in Lutheranism, or at least I thought it was new, Pastor Molina will share some wonderful insights on that. We're going to be looking at the hymn of praise, This is the Feast. Pastor, just some general comments first before we start uh, listening and tearing apart This is the Feast line by line. Well, um, This is the Feast is a kind of a new thing in our hymnal and our order of service as far as uh, its usage as the hymn of praise, but it is a hymn from Scripture. It is kind of a... Um, rewriting and summary of Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, and then also Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 9. And so uh, in the book of Revelation itself, there's kind of a hymn that goes on throughout the entire book in the background um, that is sung by angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And uh, that hymn then that's from the book of Revelation is summarized here into this one. Uh, This is the feast. Um, And so that's kind of where its source and, and origination is and we'll look a little bit more at it as we go. I'm always a big one that uh, we should have the right beginning. And, uh, you know, when a a pastor or a professor is going to give a paper or whatever, where they start or where they begin is always telling for me. And I think we should begin with the Word of God. If you look in your hymnal, This is the Feast is on page 155 in Lutheran Service Book. You'll see in the upper right-hand corner in very small type those uh, scripture verses that Pastor Moline alluded to. This is a uh, wonderful feature in Lutheran Service Book, giving us the scriptural reference for the various parts of the liturgy. Revelation 5, 12 to 13, reads as follows. Saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then also, a little bit later in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19 verses 5 through 9. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Our hymn of praise, This is the Feast, is not an exact singing or even a, a, an exact paraphrase of these verses, but it is drawn from and flows from the theology that comes out of these verses. First of all, this is the feast and now, as I read through Revelation 5, and especially Revelation 19, it talks about a marriage feast. Pastor, what, what kind of a marriage feast are we talking about here? We have some of our folks that are listening here that are married. Uh, they have a, a, a human husband or wife. We have some people that are um, once married but no longer married, and uh, through separation or divorce or death, um, the thought of marriage can be kind of a painful thing. We also have a lot of single people, uh, maybe some who have the gift of celibacy and are not going to get married, and others who strongly desire to be married, but God hasn't given them a spouse yet. Um, what marriage are we talking about here, and how does this speak to all people wherever we are, humanly speaking? The marriage that's being talked about here is actually the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. It's a marriage that's talked about throughout all the pages of Scripture. I can think of Ezekiel, for example, as a place uh, where it talks about the people of Israel being married to Christ. Uh, I can think about um, the reflection of Paul uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, I believe, where he says, uh, uh, this is talked about marriage and husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Then in the end he says, this is really not about marriage at all. This is about Jesus and the church. We say these words in the liturgy later on during the uh, prayer of thanksgiving at the service of the sacrament where we say we'll celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom. And it's a discussion about, um, uh, first off, that we are the bride of Christ, that he has promised to take care of us and give his life and uh, 
uh, defense of us, and in the same way, then we submit to his love and care uh, as a response to that. Uh, And then it also then uh, talks about the feast that goes with that, which I think is a strong allusion to the Lord's Supper. That's where we uh, eat the body and blood of Christ for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And uh, that's the place where he gives all that he has to take care of us in this world. And the promise that, uh, as Isaiah says, uh, when we leave this world on the mountain of God, we will eat the best of foods and drink the finest of wines uh, with God in his presence. So all that imagery is uh, carried in that word, this is the feast. So Christ is the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. The church is the bride. Uh, scripture is uh, ripe with this kind of uh, imagery and metaphor for the relationship, that intimate relationship that Christ has with the church. And you said that the Lord's Supper... Uh, gives us a picture of this as well. I think some of the language is it is a foretaste of the feast to come. So we are anticipating, as we receive Christ's body and blood, we're, recip- uh, we're anticipating the fulfillment, or we might say the consummation, if you want to keep using that marriage uh, imagery and metaphor. And one of our post-communion colics, we're several, several episodes away from this. So uh, I just want to plant the seed here. One of our post-communion colics uh, says this as well. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the Holy Supper of your Son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming, we may together with all your saints celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. That's from page 166 in uh, Divine Service 1 in Lutheran Service Book. So uh, we're not making this up, folks. This feast is a marriage feast. The Lord's Supper is a foretaste of an even greater feast to come that awaits us in heaven. And I think, uh, Pastor, before we talk any more, let's listen to This is the Feast in its entirety. How does that sound? That sounds good.
there you have it. This is the feast from Lutheran Service Book, Divine Service Setting 1. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left in this particular segment, Pastor. Just some overarching thoughts about this hymn of praise, This is the Feast. Well, oftentimes uh, in the church, when you're trying to teach the important things, you say those important things over and over again. Same with catechism, the idea that we echo back the faith, the important parts of it. And you'll notice that same structure within this hymn. We say, this is the feast of victory for our God. Um, multiple times throughout the singing of that because that is the reminder that what we're participating in is something that's bigger than ourselves, bigger than just our congregation. We are participating with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. Well said. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at the specific lines and verses in This is the Feast and see what they do teach us in that teaching of faith. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia, alleluia. The familiar refrain to the hymn of praise, Divine Service Setting 1, Lutheran Service Book, and that is on page 155 of Lutheran Service Book. Pastor, we looked at this hymn of praise, and we listened to it uh, totally at the end of uh, segment 1, and this is episode 16. We're going to devote this entire episode to this is the feast. Um, the feast is the marriage feast. It says this is the feast of victory for our God. I want you to focus on that word victory. What kind of victory are we talking about here? And it seems like we've mixed metaphors with regard to feast, marriage feast, and victory. Can you bring those uh, those two ideas together for us? Well, it's not a mixed metaphor so much as uh, just the reality. Um, the victory that it's talking about is the victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil and our sinful flesh, which is accomplished on Good Friday uh, by Jesus' death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Victory has been won for all who are in Christ because he himself is victorious. And, and it's not a mixed message in this sense. You'd watch all the... Um, you know, movies where, you know, like Robin Hood, for example, or uh, any of those other movies where the uh, the hero has to fight the evil guy, uh, and in the end, then he gets the girl, too. That's kind of the way it is for uh, the church as well. Jesus fights the fight, and at the end, he gets his bride, which is all of us within the Christian church. And so it is a victory feast and a marriage feast at the same time. Even the movie Shrek has that idea, you know, Shrek uh, defeats Lord Farquaad, and then he gets the ogre wife uh, for himself, and they live happily ever after, and that's the idea here. That That is a beautiful connection, one that I hadn't really thought about. I was thinking about, you know, military victory, you know, the, the spoils, the feast after that, but I hadn't thought about uh, 
getting the girl in the end in just about every movie that you go to that has a happy ending, and that's most American movies, has a happy ending. The uh, the guy and the gal ride off in the sunset together, and that's, uh, that's a beautiful picture. And that is the picture that we have here. Also, this marriage feast is not a new or separate metaphor for justification. Justification uh, is taught to us in a variety of metaphors. It's not something separate. It's not something different. It is the same justification that we have, but God, because he loves us so much, he teaches us the good news of the gospel. He teaches us the reality of justification in a variety of ways so it gets through our thick skulls. Is that a fair way to assess things too? Yes, our, th- our skulls are very thick uh, and we do need to be reminded of this all, o- all the time over and over and over again because our sinful nature just doesn't want to believe it's true, but it is. And uh, so it is important for us to hear again and again how Christ has won the victory for us and that victory doesn't just mean he's the winner, it means all of us in him are the winner. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we have lots of alleluias in this uh, victory song. This uh, hymn of praise is generally sung. It can be sung anytime throughout the church year, except for Lent and Advent. We talked about that in the last program. But alleluia seem to resound in the church most often during the Easter season and specifically on Easter Day. What does this word alleluia mean and what does it signify? Um, well, it's a it's a word of rejoicing that is used throughout the scriptures, and there's uh, two different versions of it. There's the Hebrew version, Hallelujah, and there's the Greek version, Alleluia. So one and, starts with an H, and one starts with an A, right. but it's the same word, right? Right, it is, and and the word uh, basically is praise to God, especially that Yah part at the end there. Uh, that is the name of God in the Old Testament. Uh, when Moses uh, kneels before the burning bush and says, Who shall I say sent me? God says, I am uh, that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And in Hebrew, the way you say that is Yahweh. Uh, And so that Yah got to be uh, the shortened version of saying the name of God. You even see that in all sorts of names, too, like Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah, Josiah, uh, all that stuff uh, has that name of God. Judah. Judah. um, Or even... um, Really, it's in the name of Jesus as well. We just have uh, English and uh, Latinized the name. In the uh, Hebrew, it would have been Yahshua, or the Lord saves. And uh, so that name there is there, and that's in that word, Alleluia. It's a praise then to the God uh, of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, of of, uh, all the great patriarchs of old, and our God as well. So it's kind of a shortened version or code word almost for praise God or praise the Lord. And you see this in your English translations. Many of the Psalms will have a refrain throughout the Psalm or especially at the end of the Psalm, praise the Lord, all you people pray. That's that's hallelujah. And so that's what we have here. So we are constantly praising the Lord throughout this hymn in the refrain, back and forth. And our praise is directed not to ourself, not to the things of this world, but to the author and giver of life and to the one who is the giver of all good things. We see that in the book of James. All right, so let's take a look at verse 1. 
And if you've got your hymnal open, uh, in, in Lutheran, wor- uh, Lutheran worship, LW, the previous hymnal, this is the feast was uh, sprawled out over two or three or four pages, and you were flipping your pages back and forth, and it was uh, very cumbersome to sing the song. Most people memorized it after a while because it's just such a catchy tune and the words are fun and easy. But the the layout in Lutheran service book is very, very good and very, very handy. And so just like singing any other hymn, you sing verse 1, then the refrain, verse 2, then the refrain. Verse 3 and 4 are sung together and then a refrain, then verse 5 and the refrain. So it's very easy to follow and you, you don't see the uh, confusion like you did sometimes in the previous hymnal. Verse 1 says, Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain whose blood set us free to be people of God. I want to focus, first of all, on that worthy word. What does the word worthy mean, and how does it apply to Christ? Well, um, the word worthy means that they are uh, in the position to accept the thing given to them, or they are... um, uh, able to accept the gift because they are in that correct um, state between the person giving the gift. A- and I'm probably not saying it very well because I wasn't <laughs> looking it up in the dictionary yeah, you here. Can't, you can't anticipate every question right. that I ask. Um, but, but Christ is worthy because he's fulfilled everything that God has asked of him. He lived a perfect and holy life. He fulfilled all the Ten Commandments. Uh, he also gave his life as a ransom for many, shedding his blood so that by his wounds all people who trust in him might be healed. That forgiveness is earned for all people and given especially to those who uh, believe in him. And so by accomplishing the perfect will of God, he is worthy then um, to uh, receive whatever God wants to bestow upon him. And uh, we see in the book of Revelation that that's the hymn that's sung in the background over and over again. We hear that Jesus is worthy. Uh, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, power. Uh, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Worthy are you uh, because you are the Lamb who was slain. Uh, That song is the song of heaven. I think most of the time when, when we think of worthy or worthiness, in human terms, we think of just the opposite. You know, I think of the uh, Wayne's World movie. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And who who were they not worthy to be in the presence of? Alice Cooper? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's something, something crazy movie. like that. We think about how someone is worthless or we'll make some human, uh, you know, somebody somebody who can't hold a job or somebody who's a perpetual drug addict or whatever, and we go, ah, yeah, they're, they're just a worthless kind of a, a human being. We're talking about intrinsic value, what they do and how they display their worth. <clears throat> I think of someone who goes into a financial institution and wants to borrow money, take out a loan. What does the bank or the financial institution try to ascertain? Is this person worthy of us giving our money? Is there a reasonable chance that they will pay it back? And so humanly speaking, we are making these judgments, and oftentimes the judgments we make are downright sinful. 
But we are making these judgments back and forth all of the time. Right here, right off the bat, the first word that comes out in verse 1 is worthy. Christ is worthy. He is worthy, first of all, because he's the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. He is worthy because he does not sin. He is born without sin. He does not sin, not once, not ever. And so Jesus, intrinsically, by who he is, true God and true man, without sin, blameless, and by what he does, living a holy and perfect life, he has displayed his worthiness. First and foremost, before God, because he's the one that's going to have to make this sacrifice. Sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And he displays that worthiness to us. We are not worthy in the presence of God. But Jesus is worthy. And it goes on, worthy is Christ. And so we have this title, Christ, uh, the, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lamb who was slain, whose blood set us free to be people of God. Jesus comes with a mission. He doesn't take on flesh and blood just to show that he's powerful and he can do some fancy trick. He does it for a reason. And so specifically in verse 1 here, Pastor, what is it that makes Jesus worthy as the Christ and the Lamb of God all at the same time? What's the fact that he was slain to forgive the sins of many? The uh, the cross, the... Uh, the wounds of Christ, the blood that was shed, the death that was paid, that's what makes him worthy, uh, according to this particular verse from the book of Revelation. And the result of that is it has a dramatic effect on people whose blood, and uh, blood is a synecdoche. It's talking about, uh, it uses the word blood for all of the, the work of Jesus, not just his blood, but it's a part for a whole. Set us free to be people of God. So does this mean, Pastor, that all people are going to go to heaven now because Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross? Not, well, like, like I said earlier, it means the forgiveness for all people is there, uh, but only those who uh, have faith that to receive that gift of God uh, with joy and, and uh, comfort will actually receive the benefit thereof. Um, those who have no desire to do anything with Christ or to be a part of Christ will get exactly what they want. For eternity, they will not be a part of Christ. Uh, and, and so that's there is hell and there's heaven then. Uh, all people are able to be saved because of Christ's work, but not all people will because of their work. There's a word that we sing here, the last, uh, the second to last word, penultimate word in verse 1, and it's a little word that we don't think about often in our theological undertaking, but it says, people of God. Uh, we could, I mean, if we weren't singing in a hymn verse, we could say, God's people, apostrophe S. This is, this is a genitive case. What difference does that make, Pastor? Well, uh, genitive shows possession, and in fact, this is a exact quote from Revelation chapter 5 again. This is from actually a few verses ahead of where you read. Uh, Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We belong to God by grace, through faith, on account of 
the person and work of Jesus Christ. Alleluia! This is the feast. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the following verses of This is the Feast of Victory for Our God. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're taking a look at Divine Service Setting 1 in Lutheran Service Book. Specifically today, we're looking at that familiar and very, very popular hymn of praise, This is the Feast. I think that in uh, the time that I've served as a pastor, and and I was a uh, uh, young high schooler, uh, just out of high school and such, when... uh, Lutheran worship was introduced in my home congregation back in West Point. There was lots and lots of resistance with regard to a new hymnal and new liturgies. But I think universally the one thing that everybody loved from day one was this particular hymn of praise. And the only knock that I've heard from some pastors with regard to this is the feast is that it's kind of long. And uh, people who are always nervous and worried about the length of the worship service, uh, you know, maybe we can sing something a little shorter. Maybe, we, you know, and Divine Service 2 does that. It uh, takes, this is the feast, different tune, different setting, and it's about half as long. So at some point in time, we'll, we'll uh, dig into that particular hymn of praise as well. At the beginning, uh, with our bumper music leading into this particular segment, segment three of episode 16, we, are, we heard verse two, verse two of This Is the Feast, Power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, blessing, and glory are his. Now, Lutherans oftentimes are critical, maybe hypercritical, of praise songs that just kind of say the same thing over and over again. We uh, jokingly refer to some praise songs as 7-Eleven songs. You sing seven words, 11 verses, or 11 words, seven verses, that kind of a thing. Uh, There seems to be a little bit of that going on here, maybe more than a little bit. What is this long line of attributes that we are stringing together with regard to who God is, what makes him worthy, all that kind of stuff. And is this simply stroking God's ego, or is there something else going on here, Pastor? Well, it's uh, not something that we've strung together. This is, again, an exact quote from the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures in Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so uh, we sing all those things as an exact quote from Scripture. The only difference is is we uh, switch blessing and glory around for the sake of the meter and the tune. Uh, Otherwise, it is an exact quote from Scripture here. And uh, this is telling 
telling us who God is then. Uh, he's the one who has the power to do anything he wants. All wealth that uh, exists and is worth anything belongs to him. Uh, the beginning of wisdom begins with faith in him, and uh, he, the reason that is is because he is wisdom incarnate, the Word made flesh. Uh, he has strength and uh, ability to do anything. We talked about that as well. Uh, has honor, blessing, and glory. Uh, that's what we give to him because of his identity and who he is as well. You know, there is a confessional nature with any time that we're singing a hymn, a true hymn, or the various parts of the liturgy. And I'm not talking about the confession we talked about a couple of episodes ago where we are confessing our sin. I'm talking about making that public confession, that same saying back to God, the words he has given us here. How is saying back to God the very words of Scripture, like we heard here in verse 2 of This is the Feast, how is this confessional in nature? Well, it's confessional, and maybe this is where it's separated from praise songs as well, in that it is uh, us telling God, this is what you told us, and we understand it and hear it, and we're speaking it back to you because if it comes from your mouth, it must be true. It's not some emotional thing within us. It's not some uh, you know, great idealized version of God that a philosopher has come up with. This is the exact word of God, and we're speaking it back to him because he told us it. I remember very well one of my professors uh, during seminary days, Dr. Paul Robbie, whose uh, family uh, originated up in northeast Nebraska near my hometown, the Robbies. Uh, of course, they call it Raby up in the uh, Wisner, Nebraska area. But uh, Dr. Robbie, Old Testament scholar, now retired, wonderful, wonderful man and a brilliant man as well. Dr. Robbie used to say that God loves it. When we say back to God the exact things he has given to us in his word, it means that we know it and that we believe it. And God loves it. Even when we take the promises of God that seem foreign to us, uh, maybe things are going bad uh, in our lives and we take the promises that God said, God, you said you were going to be with us, that God loves it when we take his word, take his promises and stick them right back in his nose. What do you think of that, Pastor? Well, I even do that as a parent, you know. Uh, Tell the kids, I want you to start the dishwasher after you put your dishes in there. And they say, yep, yep. And I said, okay, now tell me exactly what I said. And, you know, half the time they can't because they weren't paying attention and they didn't really listen. But if they're able to say back what you told them, that means they have heard it and that they understood it and that they agree with it. And and I think that's the same thing God's doing. And we are uh, rattling off, in a sense, the attributes of God, the the way those attributes of God are displayed in love, in grace, in mercy, in favor toward this new possession of God, his people. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, blessing, glory. They're his. They belong to him. And by grace through faith, they're now ours. Isn't that amazing? We want to listen now to verses 3 and 4 of This is the Feast. And verses 3 and 4 are strung together. There's no refrain in between them. So uh, if you have your hymnals out, page 155, This is the Feast, verses 3 and 4. Sing with a happy heart. 
Okay, we're back, and uh, thanks for listening. That was verses 3 and 4 and the refrain from This is the Feast, page 155 in LSB, the hymn of praise, very popular hymn of praise in Divine Service, setting 1. Pastor, some thoughts on verse 1. Sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. Let's look at the first part, sing with all the people of God. What, uh, what is happening there, and how is that uh, mission, evangelism, outreach-oriented in that particular line? Well, even uh, more than saying it's mission and outreach-oriented, I mean, I think all of God's Word is that, because the Word is creating faith wherever it's preached in its truth and purity, I think it's uh, describing the reality uh, that is pictured in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, where St. John looks in a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, they're singing this very song, and all the people of God are pictured there, you and me, uh, and all those who have departed in the faith before us, and all those who depart in the faith after us. They're already pictured there in heaven singing this song uh, before Jesus as he sits on his throne. That brings to mind the celebration that we have on All Saints Day when we are remembering those who have died in the faith that are already in heaven and we look forward in, an, in joyous anticipation to joining with them, our loved ones, once again. I'm, uh, I'm also reminded of those words in the proper preface with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. In uh, the second line in verse 3, it says, join in the hymn of all creation. Now, we've already said that not all people are going to go to heaven. So how can this be the hymn of all creation? Well, it's a hymn about Jesus, and uh, uh, all the creation declares the glories of the Lord. And and so in that sense, it is this very idea of talking about who God is that all creation sings. Uh, all might not be saved, and yet the truth is that on the last day, all will kneel before Jesus and understand that the things we're saying here are true, that worthy uh, is he for dying for sin, and all riches, wisdom, strength, honor, blessing, and glory belong to him, and uh, that that might, uh, for those who are in the faith, be good news and will inherit the uh, heavenly kingdom because of that. For those who have no faith, that's a terrifying reality that is still true whether they want it to be or not. And so Jesus is the author of all creation. Through him, all things were made. So in that respect, a hymn to Jesus is a hymn of all creation, because through him, all things were created. And also, Jesus shed his blood and died for all creation, redeeming not only people, but changing the whole world, the whole ontology of things by the power of his death and resurrection. So whether you believe it or not, this objective truth is there. Christ has shed his blood for all creation. One last thing here, verse 4 um, strings together all those wonderful attributes again, blessing, honor, glory, and might be to God and the Lamb forever. The one thing that's different or new or added in to that last part of verse 4 is now God and the Lamb are listed or sung to separately. What's happening here, Pastor? 
Well, I think even, not separately, but together. And, and this, again, reflects the book of Re- Revelation. In, individually is maybe They're how listed. I should say it. Yes. They're listed individually, yes. but they are together. Thank and you. that's the way that it is in the book of Revelation. It's kind of odd. Uh, in the midst of the vision of St. John, the book of Revelation, there's a throne. And uh, at different times it talks about how God is sitting on the throne, pictured as God the Father. At different times there's also the Lamb in the midst of the throne, standing there in the middle of it. Uh, uh, and and so you see Jesus there, the Lamb who was slain, and also surrounding the the uh, throne there, we see the Holy Spirit uh, as uh, a fire and lampstands and all this sort of business going on. And so what it's doing is it's teaching us the Holy Trinity because we see uh, that when we talk about God, especially in heaven, we can't talk about just Jesus. We have to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together as one God in three persons, three persons in one God. So this is a allusion, at least. It's not a direct reference, but it's at least it's an allusion to the Trinitarian nature of God. One God in three persons, three persons in one God. And uh, that blows people's minds when they read Revelation 4 and 5 together. Because Revelation 4, you have God the Father sitting on the throne. Revelation 5, you have God the Son sitting on the throne. It's like, wow, is there two thrones here? What are, what are we doing? But we in our in our feeble nature we cannot see how god is one and yet reveals himself to us in three distinct and separate persons this is a mystery that we can't fully grasp but it's a mystery that we love we enjoy and we believe because god's word teaches us we need to take a short break this is at home in your hymnal we're looking at divine service one specifically This is the feast. When we come back, we're going to look at the end of This is the Feast and blow your mind because This is the Feast really isn't a new hymn after all. Welcome back to This is the Feast. Well, I guess it is This is the Feast. That's what this entire episode of At Home in Your Hymnal is dedicated to. In our first three segments, we looked at an intro to This is the Feast, where it comes from in God's Word, from Revelation 5 and Revelation 19. We looked at verses 1 through 4 of This is the Feast. In our intro here in this last segment, we heard once again verses 3 and 4 and the hallelujahs that have come together. And we do have one more verse, and for some, 
this is really the money verse. The, uh, the Everything's building up to the climax of verse 5 in This is the Feast. And so without further ado, as we look at This is the Feast, page 155, Lutheran Service Book in your hymnal, the great hymn of praise, let's listen to verse 5. There you have it, Pastor. Verse 5 of This is the Feast of Victory for Our God, the hymn of praise from Divine Service 1, page 155 in Lutheran Service Book. For the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. First of all, who is this Lamb who was slain, and why is that imagery or that word picture so significant for us, not only in this hymn, but throughout God's holy word. The lamb that is slain is Jesus. Uh, St. John the Baptist identifies him as that. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, We see him in Revelation chapter 5, standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out from all the earth. This is Jesus, and this is important because it is by the blood of a lamb that uh, God passed over the people of uh, Israel and Egypt during the Passover. It is by the blood of the lamb that marks us in the waters of baptism that we are passed over by death. It's by the blood of the lamb that sins were forgiven. Uh, the book of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Uh, and so we see that picture of the lamb that has been slain the same way that Thomas saw him the week after Easter, still with the marks of the death um, upon him, and yet still alive to live and reign forever. I've uh, asked people before when we're uh, studying the book of Revelation, how do they know that this particular lamb is the one who is slain but is now alive? And sometimes people will look at me with this puzzling look and go, I don't know how. He still bears the marks. He still bears the scars. And we have a handful of hymns in our hymnal that uh, allude to the to the scars or the marks that Jesus still bears. They're his um, trophies, victory uh, marks, so to speak, because they were accomplished and earned for us and for our salvation. So we have this entire scripture sacrificial system that had to be repeated again and again and again, all pointing forward to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now in this last verse, we are singing our praise to Jesus for what he has done. For the Lamb who was slain, and now is alive, that's implied, has begun his reign. What kind? And we're not talking about precipitation rain. We're talking about R-E-I-G-N, rain. What kind of a rain does Jesus have as the lamb who was slain but is now alive forever and ever and ever? 
an eternal reign in his kingdom, uh, the place where he went to prepare for us, uh, that he'll also take us to be with him in the last days, so that where he is, we may be also. Uh, it is the reign of heaven uh, that we have to look forward to. That's the reign that Christ is speaking of, that we're singing uh, in this hymn. Okay, so how is this reign forever and ever and ever that Jesus has, how is that good news for me? What, what difference does that have for me as a child of God that Jesus is on his throne reigning forever? Well, because you're a citizen of his kingdom, and you can think about it this way. In the last few elections, uh, one way or another, you've probably had a president that you didn't like, and that might have made you grouchy and sad or angry. Uh, You might have even protested because of a president you didn't like one way or the other, no matter what party you're in. But the good news is, is that as a Christian, your eternal forever ruler is not some sinful man here on earth, but it is Jesus who sits on the throne forever and ever. And that's good news because then he speaks in your behalf. He's compassionate towards you. He promises to share the kingdom's wealth with you and to take care of you in that kingdom. Very well said. This is the feast of victory for our God. Uh, It is very, very popular. The uh, people of God love to sing it. We don't sing it Every time we do Divine Service 1, we, we generally have a default of our other uh, hymn of praise, the Gloria, and we'll pick that up in uh, episode 17 next time around. But the people love this. It is very popular. It is very, very requested. And yet one of the knocks on This is the Feast, and I've heard this from several pastors, uh, very liturgically-minded pastors is that this is the feast is too close to a contemporary pop song that this uh, this is the feast is uh, newfangled and really doesn't uh, fit well into the divine liturgy Uh, this is the feast is is somehow unworthy of our liturgical worship mainly because it's just new a catchy kind of a contemporary thing one of the things i know that you have discovered pastor is that singing these words as a part of the divine liturgy is really nothing new at all you want to share with us your uh, your findings and your discovery in this area yeah well first off um you know the the knock that it's new um can't really be um, uh, accepted as intellectually honest because the words themselves are 1,900 <laughs> years old. Very good. Uh, additionally, though, using uh, them to sing as a part of the, the service, 300-plus um, uh, years ago, uh, Bach prepared a setting of these words, uh, worthy is Christ the Lamb who was slain, uh, whose blood set us free, uh, in his 21st cantata, uh, which is prepared for the third Sunday after the Trinity. And so uh, those words have been performed as a part of a divine service liturgy uh, going back many, many, many years. So roughly 300 years ago, three centuries ago, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the uh, greatest music-slash-theologians in the history of Christianity, and we just happen to be blessed that he was Lutheran, uh, 
looked at these words in Scripture, this eternal hymn of praise, this marriage feast praise, and he took these words and he set them to music. Is that a fair way to say it? That's correct. And um, the rest of the cantata and maybe even the way that the words are exactly written in the German is uh, prepared by a guy named Solomon Frank, uh, who we also have two other hymns in our hymnal that are written by him, and many of the words of Bach's cantatas are written by him. And so uh, it has a, a great tradition uh, with those two guys working together uh, in the Lutheran faith. And it's just too bad that those words have been lost to time. It's too bad that we can't just like listen to them as a part of our program. It's too bad that we don't have access to these words right now. Isn't that right, Pastor? Well, this is your lucky day, isn't it? Because <laughs> we have a recording uh, of the, uh, the, the hymn of praise, The Lamb, as prepared by Bach uh, for his uh, cantata 300 plus years ago, written for a funeral, put into the cantata. It should be interesting to listen to. All right. Well, let's hear these words from Bach right now.
Wow, that is uh, starkly different from the hymn of praise, This is the Feast that we sing, and yet it is the same content. It is the same words. What you just heard was, well, you, you tell us what we just heard, Pastor, and then give us the uh, words and translation. Yeah, I mean, it is those words from Revelation chapter 5, quoted exactly in German. And so the uh, translation to English is, The Lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Praise and honor and glory and power be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. And so you see, really, it is the same words as this is the feast, maybe in a slightly different order and different tune, definitely, but it is the same hymn. And so what can we, in the in the time that we have left, Pastor, what can we glean from this with regard to the people of God at all times and in all ages singing praise to the one alone who is worthy our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, it's a part of our worship to do so. It's recorded for us in uh, the book of Revelation, and so it's a good thing for us to continue to repeat back to God the words that he gives us, uh, and uh, the hymn, This is the Feast, is a great way to do that. So... This is episode 16 of At Home in Your Hymnal. Next time when we come back, we're going to look at the other option, perhaps the default option for many congregations with regard to Divine Service Setting 1, the Gloria in Excelsis. If you'd like to uh, do a little preparing for that, uh, please please do so. That's from Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 1. In the meantime... For Pastor Moline, this is Pastor Poppy. You've been listening to At Home in Your Hymnal, God's Richest Blessings in Jesus Christ. Oh,